Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Yields podcast. I am your host, Tom Migliaccio. At Blue Collar Yields, we will talk about real estate, entrepreneurialism, and many other topics. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts. And while there, don't forget to rate this show and subscribe. Our next guest is Steve Seymour. Steve is the broker of record at Vanguard Realty Alliance. In 2006, Steve got his license and discovered that the traditional sales model wasn't empowering the agents to build wealth. In 2008, Steve started investing and has since accumulated a multi-million dollar rental portfolio consisting of residential, mixed-use, and commercial properties. Steve, thanks so much for joining. I'm really excited to have you on today. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's start at the beginning. How did you get started in the business and what gets you most excited about real estate? So I got started in 2006 and my dad was a builder and I basically was always exposed to construction around shooting a nail gun when I was four years old and I didn't cut off any fingers, luckily. OSHA wasn't as important back then. So basically he always just drilled in my mind that I should buy rental properties and I started seeing some of my family members and friends that had better lifestyles and they own rental properties. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should look into that. And I got my real estate license. I was actually going to community college at the time for engineering and I got a scholarship to Drexel. My dad got sick and my parents needed some extra money. So I decided I would help them out and I kind of just immersed myself in real estate and definitely struggled with the sales world at the beginning. But I started seeing that I was making a $3,000 commission check and someone flipping a house was making 30000 or 40 or 50 You know, that appealed to me. So then I started flipping houses. I don't think I've ever really been cut out for sales in the sense. I have a lot of support around some other agents that help train the agents in sales. And I actually think maybe I have more value add as helping people coach them in sales versus actually doing it myself. I know what works and what doesn't. I just don't think I have the passion for going out and selling a ton of houses. Long story short is I started buying rental properties after I got sick of flipping because I realized I'd always have to get another one and I wanted something residual. Fast forward, realized the rental properties I bought, I didn't want those because <laughs> they were I was going strictly off of cap rate and cash flow and buying in low-end areas and I pretty much dumped all of those and just upgraded my portfolio to some nice quality properties that are close to my office and have a great tenant base. I'm just recently getting into lending more, but I've done a ton of creative finance deals, subject to deals, seller finance. So I've dived into all those different areas. And when I decided to start the real estate brokerage, I had no intention of having other agents come on board. I really just started it so I could do my thing. But when it started to grow and I realized I had accumulated a ton of knowledge in this creative finance world with real estate, that I had something I could offer people that was a little different that they weren't getting at the big box brokerages, which is exactly why I kind of got out of that model. So really, our model has evolved into a full service brokerage where we do a ton of retail sales and we have a ton of real estate investor agents and we just have a whole slew of resources. So it's just become this huge network and a collaborative effort with everyone involved. It's pretty amazing what it's grown into. And I haven't even done it. It really just evolved on its own. 
that's always the best stories to hear. You set out on one path and then you see there's a need or demand in the market and then you tackle that and take advantage. Now, if I'm not mistaken, your brokerage is over 50 agents, right? Yeah, we're hovering right around 50 right now. I think we just ended up actually losing two people, but I think we're at 48 right now. So let's take this back. In 2008, you got your first deal. Yeah, I got my license in 2006. I started flipping in 2008, started buying rentals in 2011, and then I dumped those properties and started buying nicer rentals more like 2013. Can you tell us about your first flip? It was actually one of my dad's friends. He wholesaled it to me. At the time, I didn't even know what a wholesale deal was, but it was a terrible deal. He put me through the ringer on that one. I still made money, so I bought it for 39000 It was a house and a building lot, which you're thinking, wow, where the hell did you buy that for 39000 I sold the house for 130000 We made about 30000 total, but I had a 50-50 partner. And... I'll actually dive into that really quickly because I heard all these people say, oh, you can raise private money. You know, I heard it from the RIAs that I was going to, and I thought it was just going to be easy. So I called over 50 people, and guess what? No one wanted to lend me money. (laughs) It was my first one. I had no experience, and I had no money, and I was desperate, right? I needed it. I needed the money, and as soon as I needed it, no one wanted to give it to me. So it wasn't until I was actually calling my friend Max to complain. I was like, I don't understand it. Why won't anyone trust me? He said, well, I trust you. I don't have that kind of money, but my boss does, and he trusts me. So he does this. He helps people. So we paid like 15%, four points, and I split it. Max is still a great friend today, but that was not a sweet deal for me because, you know, giving up 50% of the deal for him just making the connection with the money, he really didn't get involved in the rehab at all. So I ended up, replacing 17 floor joists from termite damage, lifting the front of the house up five inches, using bottle jacks and going down in the crawl space and all this types of crazy construction that I never thought I would get into on my first flip. So I really, thank God, I learned a lot quickly. I failed quickly and fast. <laughs> Was the GC your family or did you have an independent? No, so I've GC'd it out. I've used subcontractors, but I actually, on my first few flips, I did a ton of the work myself. And I still, to this day, am stubborn and will still swing a hammer every once in a while. I'm actually planning to go do some work on my shore house tomorrow. It's just, I like to switch things up and it's different for me. So is it the highest use of my time? No. Is it a highest paying activity? No. But I still do it and I'm stubborn. So how much did you take home on that first deal? I brought home about 15 grand before taxes and... I actually dumped it right into my next flip, which was a subject to deal. And I bought it three days before the sheriff sale, right before it was going to go into foreclosure. I actually didn't get title insurance. I did my own title search. I went to Wiggins Auto Tags. I created my own settlement sheet on Excel. And I did my own settlement, buying it subject to a Western Union, the money to the bank, reinstated the loan. I had it current at that point, And I paid on it for almost six months while I rehabbed it, put it on the market and sold it. And I walked out of that settlement with 92 grand of profit. So then I was like, all right, this works. And I just wanted one after the next and it just kept going. How did you fund that second deal? Well, I took it subject too. I think it was November, 2008 when this happened. And again, these are round numbers, but I think the debt was like 117 and the back payments were around six grand. 
that I had to Western Union to them, and then the monthly payment was maybe like twelve hundred. I'm just guessing, and that was P I T I. So I Western Union in the money, reinstated the loan, took it over. The family had totally walked away from this house. They actually had already bought their plane tickets. They were moving back to Puerto Rico, and they came back to the house one last time just to grab a couple bags, and they found a note that I had left on the door. That's how they called me off of it. So once they realized that they were going to lose this, I ended up paying them 5000 above the debt. So it was like the six plus the five to reinstate it. I had very little money left over in reserves, but I had all the time in the world and I had a Home Depot credit card. So, you know, that's kind of how I got started. I really bootstrapped it from the beginning. And I think I had about 15, 17,000 in material cost on that job. And I did the rest of the rehab. My labor was, it was me. And then I paid a couple of my buddies some beer money and we made it happen. How long did that take? From close to close, it was just under six months. So you made 92000 in six months? Yeah, in less than six months. And it wasn't the only thing I was doing. I was still doing some other sales and things like that. When did you realize that the traditional sales model didn't empower the actual agent? I felt frustration in it from the beginning, but it really didn't hit me until I realized what was out there in the investment world because you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know you could do seller finance. I didn't know you could do a subject to deal. I didn't know you could get involved in investing in notes and use private lenders. And I didn't know you could invest in your IRA accounts or use different vehicles or have a property in a trust where no one even knows who owns it. None of that was ever taught to me. Until I started uncovering these things, I just kept always going back to, well, what are they really teaching me? They're really just teaching me to drum up business for them. And I hate to use this analogy, but one of my old brokers even said it, and he said brokers are like pimps and agents are like hoes. They go out and make all the money and come back. And I mean, it can be really offensive. I hope I don't offend anyone with that comment. But the reason I say it that way is because I think it's like robbery. The way the design is set up, because it was different back in the day. Brokers actually were involved in their agents' deals. They were bringing value. They were doing something. And now they plug you into a system. They rake 50 to 30% of your commission. And these agents are on a constant treadmill trying to build their business to something that looks like what they thought they would originally get into. And it's something totally different. And I still think sales is a great way to get started. But if that's all there is at the end of the day, what are you going to do when you're 65 years old and sitting there? So that's where I just feel like they really didn't set it up. The design of the big box brokerage is not to empower the agent to create wealth. There's no personal growth. It's actually not designed. I don't think they keep information, but I don't even think they're aware of it. It's just the design of it is strictly the bottom line sales. GCI, GCI, GCI. So when did you first decide that you were going to start your own brokerage? And how long did it take when you had the idea until you actually put the wheels in motion? Well, I got my broker's license in 2011, and I was offered a branch manager position at a 100% commission model plan. It was an interesting partnership, and I learned a ton of things from it, but it was not a profitable venture for me, and it took a ton of effort. So I realized that that model was not going to be extremely profitable, but what I wanted to do was just go out on my own, and I had no intention of growing it and bringing on other agents. My first agent was actually from that previous company and when they closed their doors they didn't tell her they were closing and she showed up at my office saying 
can I hang my license with you? I didn't even know they were closing. They didn't even tell me. And I took her on just because I felt bad, in all honesty. And then it was just one agent coming from my investor meeting saying, hey, I love what you're doing. It's investing side. I know you have your broker's license. Can I hang my license with you? And it was just that and that again and again. And then we got up to 18, 20 agents and started bringing on some retail agents because they started seeing our signs in the area and saying, hey, I'm getting my real estate license. I know you're doing well. Can I hang my license with you? And they weren't investors. So we have that mix. I'm not going to say we're 100% investor-based. We have a good mix ratio now of retail agents and investors. But it's interesting hearing myself say this, but I really had no intention of creating this. It wasn't like a pre-planned, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start my own brokerage. It just was, okay, this company's not working for me. I have my broker's license. I'm going to start my own thing. And I know that's a long-winded answer. I was thinking about it when I got my broker's license. And then I would say 2011 and then 2013, I made the decision. And within a year, I had my own brokerage. So you're overseeing 48 people now. What ways are you helping the agents empower themselves? Well, it's really awesome that I just got lucky with the right people. So I've had a few of my agents that have really helped me as a business owner bring this together. And really what that looks like is Friday morning meetings where we meet every Friday and we collaborate and we share information, we share deals, we work on things together. It's just a collaborative environment. And I've just been so lucky to have other good leadership that has surrounded me. So the way I help is pretty much just constantly reminding these agents that there's more out there than just the sales. And I have a couple examples, like one of my agents that he got into investing first. I met him at ARIA. Sales was a transition for him to be able to get out of his full-time job. So he actually had four jobs. And this year, according to him, 3x his income compared to his four jobs combined while also buying multifamily property. So he did it. I was just a guide and a resource for him. And I think having the right people around you to support you and have that confidence in the background knowing, I do think that we were instrumental in helping him achieve that. So that's one example, but I have many other examples of agents that wanted to flip houses. So they spend $100,000 on fortune builders. Two, three years later, nothing. Crickets. They don't take action because they're not really plugged in. And you go through these trainings, but without that ongoing reinforcement, and having someone right there in your back pocket, knowing that they've done it and they're giving you some oversight. So that's really what I bring. It's just coming from, hey, you want to do something? Let me help you do it. It's amazing. You know, I mean, sometimes I forget it, but it's like I know I'm impacting lives and there's families being fed. Like, I don't really feel like I did it, but I know I was a part of it. So it's a collaborative effort. And I think that I just got really lucky with getting the right people. How do you remain so humble throughout your success? I don't know. I don't really feel that humble. I think there's a lot of people that brag about things. And I know sometimes I brag and say numbers to try to impress people and this and that, but I feel like I was raised right. My mom is an interfaith minister and she's always tried to keep some balance where saying money's not everything. My dad was a builder. My mom was an interfaith minister, right? So it's like... (laughs) I've got the drive and then going back to the roots of, you know, who are we really and what are we up to in life? So where do you see the role of the real estate agent in the future? I think that there's no reason for people to fear. I don't want to be blind. Technology's 
coming whether we like it or not right it doesn't matter but at the same time this is another one of my gripes is this is a relationship business and some of these big brokerages that are now tech companies all of a sudden no you're not you're just trying to ride the wave you're just trying to pretend like you're relevant and important you're not a tech company real estate's a relationship business people do business with who they like know and trust does technology connect them yes but we the agent can remain relevant because we bring a tremendous amount of value and i know ai can figure out so many things but human intelligence is something that's not there so artificial intelligence is maybe coming but not emotional intelligence not any time in the near future where it's going to wipe us out to that when someone walks in the door and they feel a certain way about a house how is any type of technology going to replace dealing with someone's feelings like that? Because they don't even verbalize it. You have to physically be there and see someone's reaction. When someone walks in a house and they know it's their house, they buy it because they see themselves living there. So you tell me how technology is going to replace that when someone's making the biggest financial decision in their life and really one of the largest values that agents bring aside from all the negotiation and professionalism is the emotional intelligence to help them through that transition. So technology won't replace that. So we talked about the agents and there, and that's the relationship business. How do you see the business of the brokerage itself changing with technology? Well, I feel like what we have is so unique. I'm so passionate about it because I think we offer the best of both worlds. We're a hundred percent paperless. You can do business anywhere. You can do business at Starbucks, sitting in a parking lot in your car, working on your phone. And we have the human aspect. We haven't lost that. So I think that that's the blend of it. It's how do we leverage technology, but remain a relationship business and actually care about what we do. Because I don't know about you, but I just went to like one of my favorite places to eat and order. And I had to order on a screen and it was new. And I really didn't like that. To me, that was not the experience that I was looking for. And it took away from it. I'm going to think twice when I go back. When technology gets to the point where the world is so disconnected, people are going to be dying for that connection. And you will absolutely remain relevant if you have that, if you offer that. So I don't think that we need to be a tech company. We can hire the best technology for a fraction of the cost of trying to develop ourselves at any point in time. Someone's going to invest billions of dollars in technology and some nerd in his basement is going to blow that technology away in 10 years. It could happen, right? But I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to focus on the relationships. I think that there's still that aspect of this business that you will not get rid of. So what do you think sets your agents apart from other agents? I would say they care. And it's from a top-down leadership thing. And I hope my agents feel this way listening, if they are listening. But I really do care about them having a nice Christmas. I really do care about, and I design it to give back as much as I possibly can from a financial standpoint. So I always encourage my agents to give back the best way possible. That doesn't always have to be financially. We give them a ton of flexibility with their commission, but if they give exceptional service, if they support someone in something not necessarily directly related to the real estate transaction, but I've had agents telling me they're vacuuming for their clients, they're doing this or that. It's just from a top down, build the relationships. So, you know, one of my guys that came over this year from a Remax brokerage, he basically was in a call center. So he's on a big team, one of the top teams in the whole area. And he got no training around working his own sphere. 
which I know it sounds like super basic, but I just challenged him to have conversations with people that he likes, knows, and trusts because they probably like, know, and trust him. And he did this and he immediately increased his volume with a lot less effort versus trying to just churn out a a volume. People can't lose this aspect of the business, it's relationship. And I even do it in the investing side. When I'm working with a seller, there's been multiple times where the seller, and I'll get them to commit. I'll say, will you work with me? All things aside, price aside, everything else aside, do you want to do business with me? They look me in the eyes and they say they want to do business. And then we work out the details. And you know how many deals I closed that other people would have never been able to close because I had that commitment up front that they wanted to work with me because there was a relationship there? So that's where I think that if reminding people that this is a relationship business, this is who we are, and helping them build wealth by not just doing sales, I think we have something so unique. I'm really excited to be able to offer it out to more people. So let's say someone's out of the Vanguard Realty Alliance footprint and they were going to buy or sell a home and they're vetting a realtor, what question should they ask? Are you working in my best interest? Right? They should know that the agent knows the market because the agent has to know the market. Relationships are great, but you have to bring some expertise. We have some phenomenal agents that train the other agents. They're doing great business. So I think if they know the market, if our core values are honesty, integrity, and communication, right? So honesty is point blank. Just be upfront. But integrity is doing what you said when you said you're going to do it and how you're going to do it and do it the right way, right? And if you can't because it's not humanly possible, then you communicate about it right away. And just overall communication. So I think the way we operate is I'm hoping that we're leading by example. I feel that we are. So I think when you have an agent that knows the market, they have the experience and they have integrity and they have honesty and they can communicate, you're better than 99% of the other agents out there. So whether they have some fancy smoke show marketing plan, this or that, we're leveraging social media like crazy and all that does bring value, but ultimately it comes back to the person. So whether you're at a Berkshire, whether you're at a KW, whether you're at a Long and Foster, guess what? Not only does that broker probably doesn't even know that transaction's happening until it's either getting close or to the settlement table, they probably don't care too much about you. They don't know you. You're a file. You're dealing with the agent. So ask them the questions that you'd like to ask for anyone that you'd be entrusting a large sum of money with. This is a big decision for you. Make sure you feel comfortable. Go by your gut too. So are you looking to... uh expand Vanguard Realty Alliance into other markets? Yeah. So right now we're in Westchester, PA, and I'm a licensed broker in PA, Delaware, Maryland, and I just passed the New Jersey broker's exam. So Phoenixville is one of our next target markets or somewhere close in Phoenix, Montgomery County. We would like to expand into Delaware County and Philadelphia County to have locations there. We already service a really big area. I have agents that will go a couple hours away up in upstate PA, New Jersey, all of Delaware, a good portion of Maryland. We already have a huge service area because of where the agents are located. And as I said, a lot of them do work remotely. Are you excited to show more people the Vanguard way? 
you know, that it's not the big box brokerage. Absolutely. What I'm really looking for is leadership in different locations and alignment where we've built out the systems and processes in the back end so that they can leverage us and just plug into a network that's already doing it. So if there's any listeners out there that you're a licensed agent, you have some experience and you feel that there's more for you, we're looking for leadership. That's what we need in market centers, right? Because my reach is only so much. And I know that I can't do it without good leaders. So on the investing side, when you're looking to invest in homes yourself, what's hidden values that you notice that other investors might overlook? So the reason I make money in real estate investing is because I buy equity to discount. So sometimes that equity to discount just shows up and sometimes it's created. Meaning one of my deals that I did, I wrapped up last year, it was a single family house. I bought it for 175. Well, when I was done with it, it appraised for 775. Why? Because it was no longer a single family house because I built an addition on it and I added two units, right? It made it commercial, mixed use on the first floor and two apartments above with a big rooftop deck. I really pushed the envelope on that one in terms of value. So that was created. And that's just one example. So you can create equity through financing. You can create equity through physical improvements to the building. You can create equity just by being creative, right? Like, so let's say you take a single family rental and you turn it into a room sharing situation where the cash flow goes from 2000 a month to 4200 a month, right? Or you bring in an organization that's a corporate rental. So, you know, there's just so many different ways. No one thinks outside the box to create value. So I see you own residential mixed use as well as commercial property. Why do you think it's important to diversify rather than focus on one asset class? Well, for me, it was definitely variety in terms of interest, new challenges, learning. And also, they always say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So I personally think commercial is more risky than residential, but it depends. So the commercial space I own is like a 22,000 square foot warehouse that is flex space with five tenants. So it's multi-tenant, so I don't need one foot the whole bill. And it offers for someone that's more warehouse-based or someone that's more office-based because we have one unit that's a 3,000 plus square foot office with a smaller warehouse and vice versa where it's a really small office with a huge warehouse. So it was a lot of flexibility. That's why I like that particular building. People are always going to need somewhere to live. And I do think technology is interrupting things. You know, there's a lot of work from home situations, right? And that's affecting the office space. Now everything's going really strong, but retail, I think, is still getting hurt in certain sectors, unless you're in like A-class areas and you have to really be cognizant of what that shift could look like. If someone can go shop on Amazon and retail, they have to foot the bill. How can they compete with paying the rent and trying to keep their price competitive with Amazon? It's just going to be tough. So they have to have something unique. And if it's unique, and they probably want to be in a top retail space. So if you're in a retail space in a BC class area, you might be struggling. So you're going to have to get creative to fill that. I think that Warehouse and industrial is, is really good. And I think multifamily is relatively safe and secure. But I also think that multifamily is one of those things that you have to be really careful of because it's been very oversaturated and it's been, in my opinion, overdeveloped, at least in the areas that we're in, where they've flooded the markets. 
I just try to pay attention to what's going on. And there's very few single family houses that are being built that are even semi affordable in our area. You're building a single family house in our area at 700,000, right? So to me, that shows a lack of supply in that sector for a three to four, $500,000 single family house. That's not a bad property to own because it's supply and demand. And the market's so localized. So everyone gets so hung up on scalability and, you know, I need to have all these units. Well, I can have 20 units paid off in my neighborhood. And that's a really nice lifestyle. I'll be clearing 40 grand a month after expenses because the rents are 25 to 2700 and the taxes are only 200 a month. Like the taxes are unbelievably low. It's in a good school district, extremely low vacancy rate and great tenant base. So I just look for a niche in the market and stick to that. But depending on where you live, you might not see that in your area. So you might have to go outside your area or you have to get creative. So you mentioned working from home becoming more popular. When you go to stage homes, instead of maybe that fourth bedroom or the extra bedroom, are you guys creating a potential office space in there when you go to stage it to show because of the work from home? Yeah. I mean, again, I do some production in terms of sales and my flips I've scaled back big time, but the staging to me, I've generally only staged living room, dining room, kitchen area. I typically don't get into the bedrooms. It's been a few of them. I don't think it's a bad idea. It's a good idea to show people how to use the space, but sometimes you have to be careful about that because if you accentuate a room and make it look like an office, you're not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. So is it too small to be a bedroom or you're just trying to show them it could be an office? Because I think anyone could kind of figure that out. I wouldn't really recommend that unless it's like a unique situation where it's more like a nook in a side of a house that's kind of unused space. I wouldn't sacrifice a bedroom for that. I think it'll bring attention to the fact that the room's smaller. On the commercial side, are you looking to diversify into any other type of assets there? Yeah. I really just want to be in more in the lending space. So I'm starting to lend. It's a more scalable thing for me. My properties are like what I call my trophies. When they pay down, they're just like nice properties. They're going to be great properties. I'll be able to rent them. And in terms of trying to go big and do big multifamily 100 plus units, I don't really have the interest in that now. That could change over time. But I have much more interest in doing a couple more small commercial buildings. The one I bought, we bought it for like 1.2. It appraised for 1.8 right when we bought it, and it's good cash flow. So if I can get a couple more like that, have my trophy properties. Well, I have a few small multifamily where they're just easy local properties for me to get. That's really what I want my portfolio to look like, and a mixture of that and lending. And coupled along with the brokerage, Like I make money off of other areas within the brokerage. So we have other profit centers built in. I have a full service title company. So we capture a large portion of the title business. I have strategic partnerships with some of the agents for flipping, rentals, lending, all those things combined is really where it's coming from. So for me, I'm really not that far away from being where I need to be. And to the point where I don't necessarily want a huge headache and I definitely don't want to risk other people's money on a large syndication apartment building that I'm not 100% sure there's going to be a demand for when I see that gap in the market sector. So if I came to you and said, hey, I have a windfall of cash, I want to invest this, you could obviously locate a property 
and then could you get me a GC? And so you guys are full service, right? You could yeah. do all of that. Well, I am looking at more of a turnkey model on single family property in a specific area that I'm researching right now. I'm not a hundred percent set on it, but I'm really close. I'm like 90% there. And if that comes down the pike, then I will be looking for investors to invest in turnkey models where they'll own the single family, but we'll handle the whole thing for soup to nuts. You know, where I've also stepped in is I actually have created a self-banking system within the brokerage where we're lending money to each other and creating that as another profit center within the model where we charge points, right? So basically you can become the lender. So if you're interested in the paper side of the business, but you're not really too keen on syndications or putting your money in a fund where that fund is solely reliant on the strength of the company and you like having it backed by bricks and sticks in first position, but you don't feel like dealing with a private lending business, we can broker your money for you. Six month loans, 12% flat rate, and then we charge uh, two points. So we're not creating a fund. We're not syndicating. If you want us to help you find, we just connect the dots. So that's just another value add. Like when we started the brokerage, We've had an in-house private lender from the beginning, where most brokerages have the in-house residential lender. We've had a private lender right from the beginning lending their money, helping our agents fund their deals. Steve, this has been an awesome show. I really enjoyed it. How can other agents that might want to buy into the Vanguard way, how can they get in touch with you and, and find your services? Yeah, so you could reach out to me at info at vralliance.com, or you could actually text me at 484-880-1236. If you're out of our service area and you just want to connect and just have a quick phone call, I'm always happy to help you get started or help strategize. If you feel like you're a strong leader and you want to be a part of an organization, we are looking for some leadership in that area. So please reach out. And Tom, I appreciate your time and this opportunity has really been tremendous for me. Yeah, thanks, Steve. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If there are more topics you would like to hear about, you can email us at info at bluecollaryields.com. For more episodes, you can search Blue Collar Yields on Apple Podcasts.